you, if, if only you guys could see this. Uh, nah. <laughs> we, we have such bizarre <laughs> fetishes. That's reminiscent of the Josie and the Pussycats soundtrack. It kind of does. Yeah. It yeah. sort of does. Just yeah, that's movie. that is of course a song from uh, Anna and the Apocalypse, which we're going to be talking about on the show today. Uh, which is a, a, a you know Anna and the Apocalypse. It's a low budget um, UK indie, but it it built itself uh, end of last year in release as the uh, the first. Uh, Christmas zombie musical. And that's exactly what it is. Yeah. <laughs> it is a Christmas zombie musical. Absolutely terrific. Uh, so just find that hook, man. We will be, uh, we will be talking about that momentarily. Um, yeah, so, uh, you know, not a, not a whole lot of news going on um, yeah. business-wise. Well, I mean... Um, um, uh, previous to the airing of this, but yeah. upon this recording, something some fairly damning um, um, uh, James Franco... Uh, oh, yeah, that uh, stuff. But, 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 you see, know, I don't know. It's, it's, look, I'm some a, of that stuff is old news. Some of it is old it, news reconfigured with, you know... We get into we get into some really I mean like I am an innocent till proven guilty person I am not into the 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 court of public opinion I'm not part of the mob I am nobody's judge uh, Franco d- d- would it su- would it surprise me if James Franco were a dog <laughs> No Seriously not which is <laughs> no. why again innocence proven guilty absolutely but, uh, but we do, all have but, to live there but you know but yeah. do, but would James Franco like th- this is where my head goes it's like okay James Franco's a dog. I could, I, yeah, totally. I mean, Russell Crowe throws phones at people. Yeah. I have friends who have literally not in, like, a friend of mine, a very close friend of mine, was once at a party, a BAFTA party, uh, where Russell Crowe was and did not initiate contact. People are crowded. You're crowded around the bar, whatever. Russell Crowe initiated contact and then, you know, turns and angrily, like, screams at my friend and calls him the. Uh, Four-letter word that ends with unt, uh-huh. and and uh, you know, I mean, I love Russell Crowe, but I, I know he's a hothead. Yeah, I know that. Yeah, he's so what if, he called that other guy. Um, yeah, uh, uh, frankly, and and so yeah, so these things, uh, De Niro, mm. little, just a little situation with De Niro, uh, in a former. Um, he's a hothead and too. And that doesn't really have anything to do with any sort of sexual anger, no. but, but uh, you know, just his behavior. Yeah, the human behavior. Now, this is what I say about that. Uh, you sent me a you sent me a note about you know, you know one of your one of your neighbors yeah. the father you know, the yeah. other day. You know. um, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm not not saying his name. I don't know why I'm not saying his name, but I won't. And and, uh, and he's had meltdowns before. Before and but, everybody yeah. would know. But but here's the thing about these people. I think it is fair um, uh, for folks to call uh, even just bad behavior out because yeah. you know what you should be ashamed of your bad behavior mm-hmm. and you should know that folks when they see you in future will think to themselves, well, look at that. There goes Russell Crowe. He is a asshole <laughs> and a wonderful actor. And and the order in which these things will be flowing around and, in the zeitgeist and in people's heads will be in the correct order. You're, people can can redeem themselves, too. You know, and they you should. Can, you can fix it, and this you is, can get it back on track. This and, is and what I should. would say to Jimmy. Jimmy, uh, Jimmy? Uh, Jimmy Franco, let me talk to your son. <laughs> uh, fire your managers. Get rid of all of them. This is what you do. You go on radio and television, and you say to every single young woman who came through that acting class, to that acting school of yours, you're assuming all... Assuming this is true. This is what, Jimmy, this is what... Look, like this, Jimmy. I apologize wholly and completely. Either I did the stuff you say that I did, and I am wholly unawares of it, because, you know, dudes can be dudes. 
or, 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 or I did it and I knew I was doing it and I shouldn't have been an asshole in the first place. Uh, I yeah. just, I'm just sorry. Men have to get used to simply uh, realizing that sometimes we're assholes. Yeah. And, and just cop too. Just cop too. Just cop too. I'm willing to cop to my assholeness. At any time in the entire history of my whole existence as a human being on the but planet, I know other... I've been an asshole a lot. Oh yeah, I have too, and it's usually where when I'm on hold with somebody who's being uncooperative. So y- y- the but here's the thing: I, I I also think like okay, Jimmy Franco, he's a dog, but you know, did, would he did, does James Franco have such a hard time getting women that he needs to like create an acting class as a as a as a lure? <laughs> Perhaps. Uh, yeah, that, that, that's unlikely, but then again, no. you, know, you know how men are. Men, men can but, be men. Look, I look at that acting class, and I, this is what I ask myself, the way the, the whole thing is going. Yeah. The, 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 the very name of that one uh, uh, like what section of the class, of the sex scene. Wouldn't Homie, don't, do not create an acting class and put a, and put a section in it called the sex scene. Don't do that. <laughs> but if it were, see, and then I also go like, if that was all really as true as it's recounted, there would be entire Instagram feeds and Reddit pages dedicated to that with photos. But you know, I mean, that's the kind of thing you can keep secret. But I, maybe I'm wrong. I don't maybe know. I, to put you this way, I've, ta- I've taught lots of acting classes over over the last thirty years. I've yeah. never taught an acting class wherein anyone in the acting class was required to get naked. Yeah. Uh, and if somebody suggested that I do that, I'd be like, you know what? That's a bad idea. That's a bad idea. We're not going to do. It. We're going to go ahead and act yeah. all this. Stuff instead, but you know, we shall see how these things are adjudicated. It's Hollywood, yeah. folks. What are you going to do? It's just it is Hollywood. What it is. It, it, if, if what's so funny is how things never change. Um, 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 Freddie, uh, Freddie Arbuckle. Uh, oh, oh, uh, Fatty, Fatty, Fatty Arbuckle. Yeah, a uh, hundred years ago now, right? Yeah, uh, or something like that. Yeah, you know, at the beginning of Hollywood. Yeah, we, this this business came in with sex scandals. It will yeah. always, there will always be sex scandals, and there are sex scandals now. Yeah, well. Wow. All right. Well, uh, I'm going to make a mention of two classical releases to start, one from Opus Arte, one from Naxos proper. The Opus Arte is really terrific. Uh, This is a great, great ballet. If you didn't know, uh, if you're not really into ballet, and 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 there's some ballets, uh, whatever. Um, Meyerling by Kenneth Macmillan is just sensational, and this is an absolutely wonderful, wonderful staging of it at the Royal Opera House with the orchestra of the Royal Opera House. Uh, Franz Liszt wrote the music, so the music alone is to die for. It really is great. The story is fantastic, and if you don't know the story of Meyerling, it's based on uh, the actual true story of the Crown Prince Rudolph and his mistress, and uh, it's just a wonderful drama, even without the amazing dancing, and the dancing is phenomenal, and the music's phenomenal, and this is a just a great staging of it. It's fabulous. Royal Ballet and the Orchestra of the Royal Ballet. And uh, if you if you're it just it's great. That's from Opus Arte. Um, and then there is also La Non Sanglante, which means the Bloody Nun by Charles Gounod. Uh, really, really good opera. This is like an opera for people who don't necessarily like opera, and it's really, really good. It is uh, based on a very, very famous novel from uh, roughly around 1800, uh, which is called The Monk, and it's just a, it's really great, just Shakespearean drama uh, projected onto the, onto opera, and it's wonderful music, and uh, it's just perfect. It's five act, and it's great. It's really, really great. Highly recommended. La Non Sangrante, Bloody Nun, and that is from Naxos. 
And uh, let me make mention of some KidVid real quickly here because we got some really, really good KidVid this week. Uh, not getting as much KidVid as we used to, but every once in a while we do get some good stuff. And Curious George, Royal Monkey, is a lot of fun. Comes with some stickers inside. My daughter is starting to really like Curious George because she likes monkeys. Because I used to call her a nutty monkey, uh, and I learned my lesson. Here's a lesson about kids. Let me tell you, people, if you don't have kids yet, if you have kids, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I get scolded by my wife, by my wife for this all the time. Don't egg them on. If you call, if you if you think it's a cute name to call a kid a nutty monkey, as I thought it was with my daughter when she would do something, I go, "Oh, you little nutty monkey." That encourages the monkey behavior. <laughs> then it's like, "Oh, really? I'm a nutty monkey." Well, here's another here's another monkey thing I'm going to do. And next thing you know, it's just it's out of control. So whatever cute names you come up with, whatever cute little uh, you know, commentary you, you come up with, you little Einstein, <laughs> you little it's, Einstein, yeah, you. that's it. There you go. <laughs> Oh, you fantastic little patient homework doer. <laughs> oh, you're so patient. Oh, that's yeah, that's what you want. It. You want to, the, Encouraging the behavior is, uh, is, is a thing. So anyway, there are, f- there are songs in this, and uh, it's a really, really cute story. It, it, it gets in with, uh, you know, a, uh, uh, there's another monkey, the king's monkey. They meet the royal family anyway. It's, you know, so it's a, there's kind of a, a wink, wink, nudge, nudge, prince and paupery thing going on here. But it's very, very sweet. It's very, very uh, touching. It's nicely done. It is Curious George Royal Monkey. And the stickers. Kids love freaking stickers. I don't know why. Uh, from Sesame Street. 50 years and counting. This is great. I can't believe it. Sesame Street's 50 years old. Uh, so this is. It's Why my, does that make me angry? I'm, I'm, I'm experiencing all sorts of weird emotions right I'm, now. Yeah, same here. Yeah. Uh, so this is a two disc set celebrating just great best of greatest hit stuff from 50 years of Sesame Street, and it's amazing. A lot of great guests on here who sing songs as well. You get Patti LaBelle, you get Ricky Gervais, you get Amy Poehler and Jeff Goldblum and Solange and Madeline Kahn and Janelle Monae, and it's just great. Josh Groban, it's a, it's really, really lovely. And uh, if you grew up on Sesame Street, I think adults may actually enjoy this more than the kids. Uh, five hours of just classic Sesame Street, all the characters, all the, uh, all the running bits and motifs. And what's really interesting is if you're kind of a... Uh, a, hist- a historian of this, mm. you do see the evolution, not just of the characters and the and the technique of the show, which has become very sophisticated. Yeah. If you watch Sesame Street today, it's not just you know let like a like a, a set with a bunch of puppets and cameras pointed at it. It is really sophisticated uh, television production. Mm. It's really very impressive. Uh, so they they uh, they they spare no expense on these things, and uh, it's really nice to see how that evolves. And then we also have a couple from Nickelodeon, uh, the uh, Paw Patrol pups in Ready Race Rescue, where they're basically just in cars and ripping around the track. And I don't, uh, you know, it's like Paw Patrol, Speed Racer Paw Patrol. I don't really get it. (laughs) Uh, Let me talk for a moment about JoJo Siwa. JoJo Siwa, Sweet Celebrations. Uh, This is her birthday special. Uh, featuring Jojo and Bow Wow Show Show. Okay, uh, Jojo Siwa is is this uh, kind of dorky little blonde rapper girl who's become a total Nickelodeon phenomenon. And this is all about her 16th birthday celebration. I've got to say, she annoys the crap out of me. <laughs> she really does. She's just so irritating. I don't really understand what her audience is, but... I 
to any parents out there whose kids are into JoJo, you have you have my prayers. You really do. <laughs> this I couldn't. I will not expose my daughter to this. I don't want this in my house. This just woman is so she's so irritating. Mm. But somebody's happier because of her, and I wish you all the best. I really do. Uh, new movies, man. Let's, uh, you, let's, you, you, you want to talk about Anna and the Apocalypse? Let's talk about Anna and the Apocalypse. It's only on DVD. Yeah. It's it's not on Blu-ray. We're going to give one away, yeah. by the way. We're giving yeah. one away. Uh, so movie, uh, yeah, Hey, love the uh, zombies are coming to town. And wait, what, was that, um, what was that wonderful tagline? Uh, the only uh, Christmas zombie. Yeah, well, the, it's the, 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 the first Christmas uh, zombie musical. <laughs> Christmas zombie. First music. Christmas zombie musical. A zombie, a Look, zombie apocalypse. Uh, that's it. A, a little town uh, in the middle of Christmas, uh, and, and, and there it all goes. This movie was a lot of fun. What is what is it with the zombie movies that involve you know sort of like a, a different zombie dynamic? Uh, uh, there was one about a couple that was in love, and there was zombies a couple of years ago that yeah. came out by Paramount. What the hell is going on with that? You when you and I were coming up, there were there were there were slow zombies. And then I, I came, uh, came fast along. Zombies. Uh, they're fast zombies. And now it's all funny zombies. And now it's all funny zombies, zombies on TV, zombies in love, zombies to There's a dance. film that I'm talking about on uh, Film Week today, yeah. which is a zombie film, which is not very good, to be honest. Um, but uh, Little Monsters. And the only reason, this is an Aussie zombie comedy, and the only reason this damn thing exists is because they were able to get uh, Josh Gad yeah. and Lupita Nyong'o oh to be God. in it. <laughs> and somehow that, that, that no, now it's an A-list film, yeah. even though it's, uh, you know. And, there's, and there's, a, there's a point, there are two points in the film. Josh Gad plays this, this like, failed actor who's a kid's entertainer, and next thing you know, he's trapped in the house with Lupita Nyong'o and the funky Aussie guy and the kids. This is what it is. There's an Australian guy who can't carry the movie by himself, but he's like a slacker, and his mm -hmm. girlfriend. And he just broke up with his girlfriend. And now he somehow makes his way. And Lupita Nyong'o's taking care of a bunch of kids, right? She's a school teacher, and there's these kids, and then Josh Gad is entertaining the kids. And now suddenly zombies are there because the Americans at the nearby base in Australia did some experiment that went haywire because Americans always create zombies. So now we got zombies and kids. And Josh Gad is crying, and there's staples in his face. And I don't really know why. I don't care. He's, he's annoying in this movie. And then Lupita Nyong'o is out there with a spade whacking the heads off of zombies. And I'm thinking, sweetheart, you just did us. You just did us. You're an really? Oscar winner. Yeah. Why? Yeah. <laughs> What's going on? It's an issue. Unless there's some sort of Australian tax yeah. deal or something like that going I on. Know. I don't know. Anyway, this thing, Anna and the Apocalypse, we're going to give one away. Uh, a bonus we're, feature behind the scenes uh, making good stuff. Film. Uh, you know, a lot of fun. We're gonna so we're gonna give one away. Send us an email to gods at digigods.com or gods at cinegods.com. Uh, put Anna A N N A in the subject line. Give your give us your e, uh, 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 address and name in the body of the email, and uh, just make sure it gets to us by Friday, October eleventh, the eleventh, and uh, we will send that off to you. Whoever is lucky enough to win uh, Anna and the Apocalypse, we'll let you know. We'll let you know um, uh, on the twelfth. Yeah. Uh, just get it to us by the 11th, and the winner will know by the 12th. And, um, yeah, it's, it's a fun film. Look, it's just a bunch of kids in, uh, in a small town in the U.K., and uh, there's a zombie outbreak, and now the kids have to survive. And, they, and the songs are really, really good. I mean, they're really good. And uh, it's a lot of fun. It was made on a shoestring, yeah. and, and you would never know it. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, I love it. Uh, Ari Aster's new film, uh, Bent Summer. Everybody was just all bananas about this, as they were about his, you know, sort of uh, uh, first big film, Hereditary. Yeah. Uh, I got to tell you, these things, his films, Ari comes under the um, uh, the auspices of things that I appreciate 
more than things that I actually enjoy. <laughs> I agree. So I appreciate I Ari, agree. And what you got going here, but do I like these movies? No. I feel the same way about Robert Eggers. Yeah. yeah you know, I yeah. felt the same way about The Witch. Yeah. I watched The Witch and I thought, yeah. amazing sound design, very <laughs> impressive know, art direction. Not really enjoying this. Uh, you know, is it a sense of horror and terror and, uh, and uncomfortableness mostly? Yeah, you get all yeah. of that with these. Uh, and this one, this is what's funny to me about this movie. You know, this couple, they go off to, uh, 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 I think it's Sweden is mm-hmm. where they're going. And, uh, and and they're with these people, and these people have these particular traditions and this thing that Midsum- happens. Midsummer Night's Eve. Midsummer Night, yeah, yeah, you know, every 90 years. All my Swedish that. friends do it. And, uh, they, you know, <laughs> dance around the maypole, drink hair, uh, eat, uh, drink vodka, eat herring, get drunk, pass out. I'm watching this movie and I'm thinking to myself, you know, uh, if the black folks were involved in this, <laughs> this movie's <laughs> over <laughs> after 15 <laughs> minutes. Because when, when the old people do the thing that they do, yeah, you, when yeah. they do the yeah, yeah. thing, yeah. Uh, then we're out. <laughs> we're done. We're, hey, this is a lovely, lovely festival, <laughs> and we're going to wish you people a lovely summer. And we're gonna hit on that. That is that is see that is and there are so many. I I, that is one of my favorite things. There are so many. So much of this stuff you take for granted in horror movies until you have black comics, (laughs) who consistently, whether it's Dave Chappelle, whether it's uh, whether it's uh, Hart, you know, on and on and on. I mean, there are so many. Kevin Hart has talked about this as well. They they talk about horror films. They will explain. You white people are crazy. What is wrong with you? Why would you stay? Why would you stay? Friday the Thirteenth, Halloween. What is wrong with you people? Why don't we just go home? People are dying. No, this is so. That's just that's funny to me about this movie. But but that's also what makes um, Jordan Peele stuff so interesting. Yeah. yeah. Because he's 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 winking at that. At the same time. Yeah. 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 uh, As opposed to that uh, zombie movie that Lupita was just in. Yeah. No wink. Unbelievable. Uh, No wink. Child's Play. Uh, I thought of reconceiving of Child's Play. There's been a lot of the Child's Play movies. I think I did the junket for the, for the so, original Child's Play movie back in what maybe eighty nine, ninety. So, so the the I, I'm going to be a com- full disclosure here. Mark Hamill does the voice of Chucky here. Mm-hmm. He does a wonderful job. It was Brad Dourif in those other movies. Brad yeah. Dourif in the other ones. He does a wonderful job. Even if he didn't, I wouldn't say it because Mark Hamill's a neighbor of mine. So that being said, uh, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say anything bad about Mark Hamill in this movie. By the way, Mark Hamill's a great voice of the Joker. As long as we're talking about Joker again. Animated voice of the Joker, terrific. You guys are going to be talking about Joker today on the show. We are indeed. Yep. And and Dolomite! (laughs) And Dolomite. Uh, Which you You and and I I just... call that one. Oh, we We called it. One of my favorite movies of the year. Yeah. I just... Let's just push pause on Child's Play for a second. Yeah. Dolomite is my name and Joker are basically flip sides of the same movie. It's the same movie. So fascinating. We'll get into that more as the season goes along. I, I saw them both in the same day, and I thought, this is the same story. Yeah. It's just flip sides of the coin. This is the dark side and the bright side of the American dream. Mm-hmm. And, it, and there are nine points of commonality between those characters. It's fascinating. But <laughs> Dolomite is my name. It has so much heart. It's like it's like a black exploitation Frank Capra movie. Oh, it's so it's just so inspiring, and, and it made me so happy. Funny. But just so so heart, just it's, heart. This is this, this thing, you know. Eddie, Eddie Eddie Murphy is playing Rudy Ray Moore, yes, who is a comedian who adopted the persona of this long sort of standing uh, yeah. a, a, a character in the black community called Dolomite. I mean, so you know, you got to understand all that because you know, back in the day, people used to think that you know, there's a guy named Dolomite. No, it's not yeah. a guy named Dolomite. No. 
That's Rudy Ray Moore. And Rudy, Rudy Ray Moore was just sort of comedian and, and, and song guy, born in the late 30s uh, to a sharecropper. Yeah. And, and came up out of the, the South, came to Los Angeles and tried to make it, you know, and clocked along for 20, 25 years. And by the time all this happens, Rudy it's is like about 40. 45 years old, yep. 30, 40, 45 years old. And, 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 and it's supposed to be over. But Rudy, Rudy bets on Rudy. Yep. And Rudy bets on all the misfits and freaks. Uh, and Rudy and the Misfits and Freaks, hey, they, they, yeah. they win. It's, so, it's it a beautiful is, story. It is a beautiful, beautiful story. And, and uh, the thing that, I, that I'm saying about it is this is a movie fundamentally about a guy with unfailing belief in himself. Even if nobody else believes in him, he believes in himself and he will not stop. Yeah. And, and it's, 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 the, it's what happens when you just don't have quit in you. And it's, it just it filled me with joy. It made me so happy. And uh, Eddie captures the heart of Rudy Ray Moore. And I, I had the great privilege of uh, that, that year that you and I wrote that, that piece for oh, Entertainment yeah. Today yeah, yeah, when, yeah. The, when the Black Exploitation Festival was going on at the New Art. I went with our friend, friend Dean, old film school buddy of mine, went down to see uh, see a double feature of Dolomite and the Human Tornado. Yeah. And Rudy Ray was there introducing them, signing, you know, doing <laughs> autograph stuff in the lobby. And he did 20 minutes of material at the New Art Theater before the movie even started. And it was... You know, I mean, I, 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 I did. I, I look back, and I just can't believe what a privilege it was. Yeah. Um, and you know, he, he, he passed not too long ago. What about yeah, the, not too ten, long ago. 10, hey, 12 years the, ago. The thing about Rudy is, Rudy owned his negatives on the That's day he it. died. He That's owned it. all of it. He owned his films. Uh, and uh, so you know, anyway, not a yeah. not, not a tragic story, Rudy Raymore. Yeah. Because we've been watching these no. sort of biopics over the course of the. You know, you had you had, you had your yeah. Freddie Mercury last year, and you had your, yeah. your Elton John, and we just had Judy. Yep. Uh, you know, Elton John turned out okay. Rudy turned out okay too. Yeah, so kind of love that. It's kinda great, like that. fantastic. So anyway, finishing up on Child's, Child's play. play. So yeah. here's my problem with this. Yeah, the original Child's Play, uh, Chucky is possessed by uh, by uh, serial killers. The spirit of a serial killer. It's supernatural. Yeah, there's nothing supernatural here. This is a cautionary tale about China. A disgruntled Chinese factory worker hacks one of these dolls. And uh, turns it into a murderous autonomous AI. Yeah, that's what's going on here. I guess I kind of appreciate the cautionary tale about farming out everything to China, but it doesn't make for a very terrifying Chucky. Yeah, and you know what? If you want to do that, just write that story. Don't don't insinuate it into a child's play <laughs> yeah, movie where yeah. things are just a little bit different. Dick the cast though, you had you, had, you got Mark, you got Aubrey, you got Tim Matheson, you got yeah. Brian Tyree Henry. Cool cast. Yeah. Uh, uh, people, but you know, is it is it the child's play of our no. well, not youth? Uh, no, but, uh, but no. And there will not be any sequels to that thing. Uh, yeah, uh, uh, director's commentary on that though, if you want to check it out. Uh, Jarhead, uh, Law of Return. Man, don't need no more Jarhead movies. No, didn't need the first one. Not really. Came in, came came in kind of well. Look, I appreciate uh, that 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 particular uh, Jarhead was about the first uh, yeah. uh, Gulf War. Uh, adapted from a, uh, adapted from a book, if I recall correctly, a memoir yeah. of, of young soldiers. So I appreciate it. Uh, again, you know that tank war out in the desert yeah. and all that kind of stuff. Don't need another Jarhead movie. Nope. Uh, so you know, I don't, I don't really know what to say about that. And uh, other than um, you know, I think somebody just wanted to make some money. So anyway, Jarhead, Law of Return. Uh, not a lot, lot on here in terms of uh, special features or anything like that. Yeah. Didn't need another Shaft movie either, dude. Nope. Uh, Although or, or, this is better than the last one, well, better than the last one. More uh, tongue in cheek. Uh, 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 reconceiving of yeah. the of shafts. The, 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 the Sam Jackson, the Sam Jackson reboot, uh, which was a little bit too self serious. 
the the John Singleton film. Uh, I don't fault him for making it. I just it just didn't you know the, the story didn't make any sense. No. Uh, uh, too bad. Well, what that movie gave us is Jeffrey Wright. Yeah. Jeffrey Wright came out of that. He played yeah. he played Basquiat, I think. Yeah. In a little film, but he, but the Jeffrey Wright playing that little Puerto Rican gangster. Yeah. He, yeah. He, he that's what that movie. Did. This is Tim's story. Uh, there are a whole bunch of shafts in this film. Shafts every place you look. Uh, the jokes, uh, yeah. you know, it works. I, yeah. I, I, I really like Tim Story as a director. I think he got a little bit derailed with the uh, the uh, Fantastic, Fantastic Four. Four films, all yeah. of which made lots of money, by the way. I just they, they're they not did. good movies. You know, here's the thing: is that Marvel is a is a Faustian bargain. Marvel really is a it, you know it, it, he he kind of the Marvel films sort of walk through the door, and when they approach you as a filmmaker, and they go, hey. You know, they dangle it in front of you, and you and you look at that, and if you're a director, you just think, "Wow, I, I could make a lot of money. Yeah. Like, like I could, I could make a ton of money. Just my points on that alone will buy me, you know, security for myself and my family, and a for, yacht for, and a plane forever. for forever. Yeah. And and it's true. Tim Story made a gigantic pile of money on those two movies. Um, but then there's always the question: What do they do long term? You know, are people going to yeah. if if they're good? Then you're pigeonholed. Yeah. If they're not good, you're going to have a hard time getting another job. Yeah. So, so the, 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 that that presents a, a bit of a dilemma too. So I do think Tim Story unfortunately got um, the worst of both of those, and uh, he's trying to sort of get his get his mojo back. But I I do want to see him do. I think he's got some some great stuff in him, and he's a he's got a really great comedy and pathos sense so I, I hope this is the beginning of him getting back on track again. Tim works a lot in television too so yeah, I know but you know, yeah, yeah, come yeah. on make some features uh, I want to see Barbershop again the guy that made Barbershop and especially Barbershop 2 yeah. that's what I want out of yeah. him uh, that, that, that kind of cat. Uh, yeah. Doom Annihilation. I was never a big fan of Doom as, nah. a, as a video game. Never really cared for all of the Doom movies. This is Doom Annihilation. Uh, look, the best thing I can say about this movie is that it's only 86 minutes long. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, so, you know, don't worry about it too terribly much. Uh, on the DVD, again, not a whole lot in terms of special features or anything like that. So, so if you're a big fan of the Doom series... Go for that, I guess. All right. Uh, a few more of these. Yeah, let me let me hit the four, the uh, 4K stuff. Okay. We'll 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 break it up a little bit here. Um, big old giant pile of 4Ks and really important 4Ks. It's kind of a shocking 4K week, to be honest. When you realize what's coming out, the uh, least impressive of all of these is still really good, believe it or not. And that is a DC Universe movie, The Death and Return of Superman, uh, the complete film collection, which comes with a uh, a little collectible figure, a little collectible uh, figurine deal. And you also obviously have a uh, Movies Anywhere code on here, too. Um, uh, but the ultimate, basically, the death and return of Superman is a fascinating saga, a Justice League saga. And uh, it's very, very nicely put together. It is, of course, the basically the same story that was detailed in the live-action Justice League uh, films, the Batman versus Superman and then Justice League. Um, except done correctly. And that's, <laughs> seriously, it yeah. is. Uh, and that's why this is probably worth checking out. You know, it's, it, it really is that story, and it's, it's taken from the graphic novel, so it's from the comics. But it's interesting that they would tell the story twice from Warner Brothers. Mm. We, we made the live-action version. Now we're going to let the animated people do it. And as I keep saying, the animated people, animated people do it better. Yeah, I, They really do. I don't know why they don't just pull those guys in. They care they understand the characters. They do some really interesting stuff, and uh, and they're you know it, and the um, 
there's a little bit more going on here too in terms of the uh, the Justice League. Uh, there, I won't give anything away, but there are characters and storylines that were not part of the live action version that probably should have been. Mm. All right, now we're going to get into the good, st- the really good stuff. Four remaining 4Ks, uh, and they are all outstanding. Every single one of these is reference standard to die for, beautifully mastered, gotta have it. Uh, the first one is the new movie. The other three are, uh, are uh, classics. The, uh, and the new one is Toy Story 4. And a lot of people ripped on Toy Story 4 because they felt it was unnecessary. It's a bit of a new team. Uh, they, they felt like the original three films represent a complete trilogy. And there are things that happen in this film that sort of uh, defy a little bit what is normal in the, in the Toy Story franchise. Look, I get all of that. Um, yes, it's not as balanced as before. Buzz Lightyear doesn't, isn't as central. It's much more Woody's story. It's a story of Woody and Bo Peep and their, their romantic relationship. And Bo Peep has kind of gone off the reservation. She's gone rogue. She's, you know, she's free. She's free. Yeah, it's a little silly. But what I love about this is, and I admit this is totally subjective, is that we now... The toys are no longer, they no longer belong to, uh, what's his name? The, uh, the, the, the kid, yeah, yeah, the, yeah. the boy. They're now with the little girl. Yeah. I've got a little girl who loves yeah. her toys. Yeah. And they love her. And, and it's a nice change. It's a nice gender switch up now that we're focused not on the relationship of toys to a little boy, but the relationship of these toys to a little girl. Yeah. That, that, there's a difference there. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you know, as as I have become very accustomed to the fact that my my uh, daughter carries her uh, princess dolls with her absolutely everywhere, Disney is an inseparable part of our lives now. So this is Matt. This is meaningful. And Forky is one of the funniest new characters ever. <laughs> Forky is hysterical. Forky is basically trash that becomes a toy, but. Forky, Forky needs to get a little confidence in his ability to be a toy because yeah. Forky kind of feels like he belongs in the trash. And don't some of us also feel that way? <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a really sweet film. It is, and it's, the animation is terrific, and there's a, there's a whole amusement park angle to it with some, some new toys introduced there. It's, a, it's just a really, really sweet film. Terrific extras on here. Uh, the, there's a, the Blu-ray, the extra disc is a Blu-ray with a bunch of extras on it and uh, mostly featurette material, but it, it, some deleted scenes that are also really sweet. Now, let's get hardcore. Uh, I'm going to save the best for last, and I'm going to start with Pan's Labyrinth on 4K, uh, which is really dazzling. I'm going to just assume that Guillermo del Toro was deeply, deeply involved in every single second of this because this thing is one of the richest uh, applications of HDR I have ever seen on a 4K. It is phenomenal HDR. Uh, has the Guillermo del Toro um, audio commentary on both the Blu-ray and the 4K and a whole bunch of uh, featurette stuff, including a video prologue by Del Toro and multi-angle storyboard and thumbnail comparisons and his director's notebook. I mean, it really gets into the nitty-gritty of the filmmaking. Most of this is stuff that has already been released, but what you're really watching this for is to understand what what HDR can do. Um, Pan's Labyrinth probably shows off the capabilities of HDR better than anything else on 4K at this moment. Totally, because it's so dark. But it's really, really rich and textured, and it's a fantastic film, and it is unbelievably classic. And uh, 
It rightfully won three Academy Awards, including cinematography, which is shown off so, so beautifully. Also on 4K, believe it or not, freaking Gremlins, 35th anniversary. Wow. I know. Can you believe that? 35 years since Gremlins. Hey, thanks for having me crazy. So here, here's how old I am. I'm working at the National Theater. I know who Joe Dante is. Of course I know who Joe Dante is. You know, he's uh, he's you know, a Spielberg guy, and he did uh, the Twilight Zone was the second movie that I actually uh, worked on. Uh, that You know, that, that was like a week after I started working at the theater. We got Twilight Zone. The first thing was Space Hunter Adventures in 3D with uh, <laughs> Molly Ringwald and Peter Strauss, uh, which is a terrible movie. And then in about a week, yeah. we got the Twilight Zone movie. Yay! And I watched that thing so many times, and I just thought, Joe Dante, that is fantastic. You're hilarious. I love it. And then... I think it was maybe the second week of Twilight Zone, we got the teaser for Gremlins. Huh. Nobody knew what it was about. You know, you know what a gremlin is, and then Joe Dante, and okay. And it was great. It was just, don't feed them after dark. It was a narration, right? Yeah. And the camera kind of roaming across stuff, and then there's water dripping. And whatever you do, don't let them get wet. <laughs> and it was great. It was fantastic. And I remember those packed audiences. It was like, ooh, ooh, what is it going to be? And then the movie came out, and uh, for some reason I saw it twice, and I hated it. <laughs> I hated it. I totally hated it. I can't stand Gremlins. It's an awful movie. You know, I did not again, hate Gremlins. I, I was, hated I was, it. You know, back in St. Louis, it was, it was a goofy movie. It was, it was just obviously aimed at a much younger audience that for whatever reason. You think? Reason, <laughs> I, I have no idea why I wasn't, didn't know that, why that wasn't obvious. Ugh. Uh, at the time, but you know, I was like, okay, okay, let the kids. Have I hated it. I just hated it, and and uh, that's when I really started my. Uh, I'll be honest, I don't have a love hate relationship with Chris Columbus. I have a hate relationship. <laughs> I do. Adventures I, in Babysitting. No, no. I just yeah, don't. I don't like. I don't like anything that he's had anything to do with. It's just he annoys me. Everything he touches, I really dislike. Even that. What was it? The first or second? I guess it was the first Harry Potter. Hated first, it. Right. Hated it. Hated. Yeah. Boring, 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 boring. Too yeah, long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Too American. I mean, he was he he was uh, Spielberg's hand chosen. Yeah, he was. And anointed. Yeah. And, you know, kind of had, had a career. Chris kind of went away lately, yeah. but, um, you know. What was the bicentennial man? What the? What, what, oh, what the no, come on. No. Stop it. Only this is Doubtfire. Him. Stop it. Oh, my God. Quit yeah. it. Quit it. Those People are all terrible movies. That. People love that Doubtfire. I know. I hate those movies. But... Here's the thing. So, look, Gremlins. Look, if you love it, get the 4K. Honestly, seriously, don't don't mind me. Uh, I I hate this movie, uh, but it's you know I'm I'm the odd man out. I realize that. Uh, this has stuff that was that's ten additional minutes of uh, bonus footage that was never uh, shown in theaters. Uh, featurettes, and you know, there's a couple of commentaries on here. One with Joe Dante and the cast, and uh, which includes, by the way, Dick Miller, who uh, we interviewed yeah, in Schlock. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we're going to be getting a, an anniversary release of Schlock out well, soon as well. Not terribly long ago. And then the other one with Joe Dante and a bunch of his uh, his production team, including uh, producer Mike Fennell and uh, Chris Wallace, who did all the you know who designed all the fuzzy little freaking things that would be CGI today. Um, but here's the funny thing. Let me tell you the weird thing about Gremlins. As much as I hate Gremlins, I love Gremlins too. <laughs> it is seriously. How weird is that? Like, I love Gremlins, too. And the reason is very obvious. Gremlins is sort of a straight-up, old-fashioned, kind of a monster movie. Uh, it's done, you know, a little tongue-in-cheeky yeah. and, and cute and whatnot. And you're supposed to go, oh, Gizmo. You could live cute. in the world of William Castle someplace. But, yes, exactly. But Gremlins 2 is just re- relentless satire. <laughs> yeah. Gremlins 2 just said, you know what? 
We did it all already in Gremlins 1. Now let's just use the Gremlins world as a, as a vehicle to just make fun of everything in pop culture. Mm. And that's what I loved about it. It just it is, a, it is a, an angry, bitter, cynical mockery of everything in the world. And because I'm an angry, bitter person, <laughs> uh, I like that. So there it is. Gremlins 2 is my thing. 4K. Here's our last 4K of the week. Oh, my gosh. Red Rum It Up. The Shining is on 4K. The Shining, the is, on Shining 4K, is on 4K, just in time for freaking Halloween. Yeah. I am going to terrify my daughter. I'm going to show her the oh. Shining. No, I'm not oh. going to show. I'm not going to show the oh. Shining to a six-year-old. Yeah. Uh, but I'd like yet, to. Not yet anyway. <laughs> I'd like to. Um, how bad of a father does that make me? Look, uh, it looks sensational. It looks absolutely sensational. They did a wonderful job. The 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 the, the, st- the grain is is beautifully preserved. The colors are muted. They don't let the HDR completely wreck everything. It's really good. Very, very uh, attentive to everything on here. It includes a, uh, a commentary. This is a really interesting commentary by Garrett Brown uh, and his film historian John Baxter. Um, Garrett Brown basically is the guy who invented the Steadicam, which has still one of its most fascinating uses in this film. And Kubrick discovered the Steadicam for this film and, uh, and uses it to maximum effect. Uh, and uh, you also have on this, this is the key thing, you have that legendary documentary by Vivian Kubrick, Kubrick's daughter, The Making of The Shining, which is, you know, it's like some of the only footage you'll ever see of Stanley Kubrick yeah. in motion. Yeah. I mean, it's funny for, for a guy that made movies. There aren't many movies of him. Of him, yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, not a lot of Stanley on No. On film. Not at all. And then three other uh, featurettes, including one on uh, Wendy Carlos's music, and it's really, really great. It's just, it's the bloody shining. The one thing that I have a problem with is the artwork. Uh. Why would they in- do new artwork for the cover of the 4K? Yeah. Why would they do that? Not necessarily. That iconic. That looks like something out of a, uh, I don't know, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre yeah. sort of artwork. Yeah. yeah but it's that's basic, not The Shining. That it's movie, not. No. It's basically, it's this, it's a white cover, and it's a silhouette of Jack holding the bloody axe. And then inside the silhouette um, is kind of, uh, you know, uh, hand-drawn artwork. Very good, but it's, you know, it's, it's just a little bit of a montage of the Overlook Hotel and Snow and Danny on the big wheel. And, you know, it's like, well, but the, the Shining poster, that yellow poster, which I had hanging over my bed for, you know, 15 years, yeah. is so iconic. Yeah. It's just so yellow, and you can see it a mile away. And if you're going to have a display of this, if you have a, a display at a Best Buy or somewhere, and this is sitting on a shelf, are you paying attention yeah, to this? No, it's just a white box. If it, you it, see it, that yellow... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it drags you in there. It drags you in. Just yeah. do it. Why uh, would you abandon the Why change the it at all? Yeah. I don't understand. I just don't get it. Really bad, bad marketing decision Because it's not there. like it's, a, it's the same movie. There's no reason to change. No, no reason to change this. 4K. Just let people know. Uh, a couple of the rest new of the new movies. movies. Yeah, let's uh, do it. You, you know, um, Casey Affleck directed this little movie that came out a little bit earlier this year. called Light of My Life. Uh, I, I watched this movie for, for for I watched this movie for Film Week, and I, and I must say I rather enjoyed it. It just kind of came and kind of went away. So Casey Affleck uh, uh, writing and directing an original story. Um, we find ourselves with him and this little girl, and they're holed up out in the woods, mostly. Uh, and for the overwhelming most part, uh, he is trying to train her to pretend to be a little boy. 
uh, eventually we come to understand what has happened in society. Something that's killed all the women. And, and girls. he directed this. He directed this. Wrote yeah. it. The original idea, original concept, right. not based on any sort of. Uh, yeah. and, and, and you know what? This was a really effective movie. It, it Casey's says, a very talented guy. He, and I know he he's controversial, but he he's had a some v- issues he's and whatnot. He's uh, very talented. It's a talented family. Yeah, I mean, you can you, know, you can rip on them as much as we want, but they're talented if people. If they can control their vices. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, but nevertheless, uh, it's a, an intense, intense little film uh, that comes down to a question of what are you willing to do ultimately uh, to save the ones that you love, and uh, and that's what this movie's about. I thought it was very good. I thought people would be talking ar- about it, you know, among the indie crowd around award season. Seems like that's not going to be the case. Nevertheless, uh, I want to talk it up because I thought it was a good little movie. Uh, oh, I'm afraid that on the DV- on the Blu-ray here, it does not have much in t- in by way of special features. Uh, kind of a bummer there. Um, awake. So you got this guy played by Jonathan Rhys Myers uh, who, who wakes up to find that he's uh, wanted by the police for a number of murders. Uh, Ooh, very Hitchcockian. Yeah, very Hitchcockian. Uh, William Forsythe in this movie. I love me some William Forsythe. Oh, Malik Yoba in this yeah. movie. Yeah. Uh, love Malik Yoba and uh, and Frances- Francesca Eastwood, one of Clint's younger children. How many uh, kids does he have? Do oh we know? man, there's a lot of them. Yeah, particularly, I had the ones that actually have the last name Eastwood. It was kind of yeah. hard, kind of hard to, kind of hard to go by. Anyway, this was kind of fun. Dug it a lot. Again, not much by way of uh, uh, the, the, the special features, which is a little bit, little bit irritating. Damien Bashir, in this really excellent film. Uh, called Walden, A Life in the Wood. It's actually it's actually divided into like these three films, these three stories that are all speaking about. It's sort of loosely based on the on, on the Thoreau, uh, but these three stories are all sort of based on the idea of uh, of what it means to get uh, in the twenty first century anyway uh, to break away from the modern trappings of life and go out into the and who gets affected by that and how do you come to think and live and it's told from these three different perspectives. It's a really 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 good movie. Damien Bashir, uh, you can't go wrong with him. He's absolutely fantastic in this movie. It's, you know, it's, it's, um, it's Thoreau, but it's very contemporary, very modern uh, in the way that it's sort of captured there. Not to interrupt, yeah. a little bit of breaking news that just crossed my news wire here. Uh, uh, Diane Carroll just passed. Oh, oh yeah. Diane Carroll. Just saw uh, her, Paul Newman, Joanne Woodward, The Blues. The Blues. Paris yeah. Blues. Paris, Paris Blues, that's right. Just saw that yesterday. Utterly by happenstance. Yeah. Late 50s, early 60s film. She Diane was, was so beautiful. How old was she? She was 84, passed from cancer. She's apparently been fighting cancer for a long time. And uh, I did not realize that uh, Suzanne Kay is her daughter. Uh, Suzanne Kay, who's a, who's a producer. Uh, I didn't realize that. Mm. So anyway, yeah, uh, Diane Carroll, just a, a beautiful voice and uh, such a, you know, such a, such a, a, I mean, Julia was a was a groundbreaking show. Groundbreaking show. Uh, a, a young black woman. She won a Tony. Uh, she won an Oscar. Uh, you, you know, Claudine. Films. Claudine is the performance James you want to see her in. Jones, Claudine James is Jill just Jones. so beautiful. Oh, and I, and I got to tell you, she had a little, a little sort of comeback, I suppose you might call it, in the '80s. Yeah. As a part of the Dynasty world, the world of Dynasty. Yeah, uh, yeah, with uh, Joan Collins yeah. and, uh, and all that kind of stuff, and she and she played one of those. Evil bitches as I good know. as anybody ever played one of them, Diana. Curry. Dominique Devereaux. Dominique, what a name! Isn't that a great name? It's a great name. Yeah. Oh, all right, so eighty-four. Diana. Yeah. Wow, that's so sad. Well, uh, a wonderful, wonderful uh, actress on television, on stage, in movies. Uh, wonderful performer. Uh, you know, she had she did shows in Vegas. I mean, really, just the complete package, and uh, just a beautiful, beautiful lady. 
that is very sorry. Diane Carroll, we wish we wish the best all to all of her fans and her family. Yeah, yeah. Nice long life, though. Good long yeah, life. Yeah, yeah, you know, wonderful, wonderful track yeah, record. No. Uh, you want to knock off a couple of newbies? Over uh, there? Yeah, let's get. Let, let me hit a, hit uh, hit some here. So Patrick Wang is an uh, independent filmmaker. A lot of people don't know about because his movies are kind of you know he 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 makes very low budget movies um, and kind of fringy stories, but they're good stories and they're interesting. Even if I don't particularly necessarily get them, he really takes chances that I can't help but uh, admire. The one that sort of put him on the map for a lot of people was a Bread Factory last oh, year. Yeah. And A Bread Factory, if you don't know, is a four-hour independent film. And I know people would be thinking... Yeah, I think it's called part one, if I'm not mistaken. Well, there's part one and part two. Yeah. So each part is two hours. That's how you break it up. It's like, you know... But in the the era of binge-watching, that ain't much. People, you know, just get used to it. So this is a fairly interesting film. Not really my kind of movie. It's a little bit drawn out for me. But Tyne Daly's really freaking good in it. And um, it is—it's essentially a story uh, about a um, a small New England community where the um, there's this uh, this art space that is known as the Bread Factory, and uh, there, there's a there's going to be a change, and this all this is all about you know Chinese money and modern art and performance art and changing of uh, of real estate when yeah. people come into small towns and buy up real estate and then change the intended purpose or the long-standing community purpose of a, a piece of real estate. Um, Which is going on in all kinds of Every community. It's going Everywhere. on in mine. Yeah. It's going on in mine as well. Yeah. Every community has this. We're large, small, you name it. It's just, it, it's, it's just the nature of real estate. It's the nature of economics, the nature of the arts. Yeah. And it's the nature of progress. Yeah. The value. How do we value the arts? That's it. And the arts. And, and and this goes into extreme detail as to, you know, uh, insiders versus outsiders, NIMBYs, you know, what is art? Um, the How do we, con- you know, can we manage the economics of this? Should the economics serve the community? Anyway, Tyne Daly is basically the activist in the middle of all of this. It's like, you know, save the bread factory. And um, she carries the movie pretty much. Yeah. It's an ensemble piece, but she really carries it. And she's wonderful in it. Again, a little too drawn out for my for my taste, but boy, this got a lot of love from the group when we were uh, when we were voting, and uh, it is called a bread factory. Part one is for the sake of gold, and part two is walk with me a while. And uh, it takes a very focused artist like Patrick Wang to pull this off. Really good cast includes you know Janine Garofalo, yeah. uh, Elizabeth Henry, huge uh, cast. Huge cast. I mean, it's you know Brian Murray. And then, if you, once you've discovered uh, Patrick Wang with that, you might want to take a look at something else that is out that did a little, a little bit of business at festivals. Um, this is called The Grief of Others. And this completely went past me at the time. Didn't Wasn't familiar with Patrick Wang at the time. This was made uh, five years ago, 2014. Uh, shot 166 aspect ratio, like for television. And uh, it's based on a novel by Leah Hager-Cohen, that uh, r- focuses primarily on a family and their uh, experience with grief and the intrusion of an unexpected visitor. And uh, all of this takes a kind of Chekhovian turn, in a way. It's very kind of Anton Chekhov-influenced, uh, where you, you're really kind of peeling the layers of family history away and family relationships away. And it's really quite a good film. Uh, it's not four hours long. It's 103 minutes. It goes. It moves very, very well. It has a wonderful, very focused cast. 
Uh, and uh, I, it, it's, a, it's a really, really good movie. And you're not going to recognize anybody in this cast with the exception of Rachel Dratch. And what an unusual performance from yeah. Rachel Dratch because yeah. it's not what you expect of her. So uh, it's a really good movie. It's called The Grief of Others. And Patrick Wang, I hope, I really sincerely hope somebody gives you a big budget and latitude to do something uh, a little bit more mainstream because mm. I'd love to see what he comes up with. I really would. Fantastic stuff, fantastic stuff. Uh, Harpoon. Yeah. Uh, in the vein of a sort of knife in the water or something like that. Anyway, this is one of these movies, what's, what's really going on here. These people didn't have any money, any budget to make a real movie. Uh, <laughs> but they could rent a yacht. Yeah. So they rented this big fancy yacht. You put three people in the yacht, two guys and a gal. Uh, you strand them uh, out there. They got lots of alcohol. They got very little food. They got almost no water. The sun is banging down on them. Uh, tensions start to rise. It's, very, it's an intense, tight a uh, little movie that I rather enjoyed, actually. Uh, director's commentary is on it. Director's audio commentary on it. The sort of behind-the-scenes thing on it. Look, it's a slick, it's a slick little movie about you know uh, uh, when you put people in a claustrophobic yep. situation, what might happen. Harpoon on Blu-ray. Good title. Good title. Uh, Heart of a Champion. This is a girl on her horse movie, but it's just so sweet. Dove. It has dove? the dove seal. It has the dove seal. It's just so sweet. Yeah, dove people are busy. In, in the vein of Black Stallion, all that kind of stuff. You can't, you can't go wrong with stuff like this. It's a lovely, lovely film. Uh, won the Audience Award uh, at Dances with Film. Sweet and beautiful and uh, well acted and well executed. Not bad. We got Buskers and Lou, which is a, a sharp little inter- independent film by Alex Casson, C-A-S-S-U-N. This is released from Random Media on d- DVD. Really low budget. Like, this is one of those movies where you watch and you think, somebody pretty much charged that budget on their credit card and they yeah. shot it in a weekend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but nonetheless, that gives it a certain um, Return of the Sakaka 7 yeah, feel, yeah, yeah. Which, it, which it in some ways kind of resembles. Um, feels like so, this feels like it's caught somewhere between John Sayles and uh, Whit Stillman ah. is maybe a way to put this. But um, it's about a, this guy, Lou, who uh, was part of this kind of uh, this, this, very, uh, this very artistic crowd. And then he went away and he comes back and now he's basically a yuppie and uh, trying to build a different life, a less uh, unstable life, a less sort of bohemian life. And... Uh, it's sort of all about how he and his uh, one-time com- uh, uh, colleagues and friends, how how they reconcile the fact that see, he sort of uh, exited the, I don't want to say the cult, but he, he exited the family, right? He exited the, the, the thing that was supposed to always hold them together. And uh, so it asks questions about, you know, what does it mean to live a life that is yours or a life that, that, that is communal and all of those kinds of things. And um, it, it kind of all eventually comes back around to the idea of a time capsule, which was buried a, a decade earlier. And it's, uh, it's really, uh, it's, it, it's, uh, it's got a lot in its mind. And it's very intelligent and it's very sensitively written and uh, very competently directed. And Alex Kasson is, uh, is a sharp little indie filmmaker. Uh, this was a little, neat little movie here called Family, a little Taylor, little Taylor Schilling movie that, that uh, Kate McKinnon happens to be in uh, as well. It's a funny little sharp little movie that sort of came and went. Yeah. Yeah, it was kind of unfortunate, I think, because I, again, Brian Tyree uh, Walsh and this. Yeah. Brian Tyree is working, man. You, yeah. You know, once you get you, you get going, you kind of get going. Peter Horton in this film, a really really neat little. Oh, movie. Peter Horton, he's he's going to work again too. They're relaunching Thirty Something. Really? You didn't know? I that? did not know this. You didn't know that, dude. This was like this was like a crucial period in my in my development as a television watching adult. Watching Thirty Something. 
yeah. while I was 20-something. <laughs> it yeah. was, was well, a big deal in my life. So middle, early middle 80s show, 30-something. Not to de- derail the show too much, but uh, apparently somebody thought, hey, uh, Zwick and Herskovitz aren't doing much except that dumb Nashville show, yeah. which has run its course. Nobody else on the show is working anymore. Mel, you know, like, uh, would or do any of the, Melanie Mayron doesn't have a yeah, job. Yeah, yeah, Peter yeah, Horton's yeah. not working. Yeah. Ken Horton, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ken Olin. Ken yeah. Olin, yeah. Yeah. He Timothy, Bus- lot, though, Timothy yeah. Busfeld. Yeah. Let's just call them up and say, hey, would you like to do 60 something? <laughs> there's an We think there's an audience for that. No, there isn't. Uh, I'll tell you that right now. There's no audience well, for that. Well, what's funny is, is that uh, Peter Horton's character in 30 something, Gary, died. Uh, yeah, that's right. If you're watching, he died in the car. Well, I, that's right. I guess he's not coming back. Yeah, so, but, you know, he's a major subject director on that show. Anyway, uh, uh, this was a, this is just a funny, funny little solo horror slash comedy movie called Family uh, with Kate McKinnon and Taylor Schilling, and I thought it was pretty neat. You should probably check it out if you get a chance. Uh, not bad at all. Inside Man, Most Wanted. You know, look, the in- stop ins- it. Just cut it, it out. Okay, like let's have an agreement. Inside Man had to be 15 years ago. Let's have an agreement. Let's have an agreement. All you people doing the Jarhead movies. Yeah. And all you people doing the Inside Man movies, yeah, get together and agree to make one more that yeah. ends both of them. Yeah, yeah. It's called Jarhead, the Inside, inside Man. Man. <laughs> make that movie and don't make any more. Yeah, set it inside a bank in the middle of desert storm. <laughs> uh, this was about an in, in, in NYPD hostage negotiation, a federal agent who team up to save a whole bunch of tourists uh, who are trapped inside the Federal Reserve. Literally. Guys, come on. I mean, I don't know. Really, I don't know what the economics are uh, behind uh, greenlighting movies like this. Uh, I mean, and I, and I get it. There's this thing that already exists. But, I don't know. but again, Inside Man, Spike Lee film, of course, with Denzel Washington and uh, uh, Chihuahua, uh, Four and all that kind of stuff. Fantastic it's, 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 movie. It's a 15-year-old movie, though, though, dude. I know. It's got, so who, who remembers that? The, the, everybody on the cover of this was 12 <laughs> when that original movie came out. I don't what know, do do? Uh, but I will say this: it is. Uh, it was just about last Tuesday that I woke up in a cold sweat, and I had a nightmare about being trapped in the Federal Reserve. Really? No. <laughs> no. Uh, All right. Uh, the Wedding Guest is uh, is a good film. Uh, Michael Winterbottom has such an unusual career. He, yeah. He just he never makes the the obvious commercial choice, but he keeps making movies, and they tend to be good movies. Sometimes he takes chances that don't pan out, but um, you know he he has always had a, a fascination with the far flung parts of the world, uh, whether it is India, the Middle East, uh, the uh, you know uh, Sarajevo, um, Afghanistan. He 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 likes places where there is conflict and um, shall we say unstable civilization. He he is he is drawn to those kinds of stories, and uh, the wedding guest is more of the same. It's 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 a fairly routine idea, but he does it so professionally that you you almost forget it. Uh, Dev Patel plays a mysterious guy who uh, makes his way to Pakistan, where it becomes clear that his job is to kidnap a woman from her own wedding, and then the question is, who paid you to free this woman from this wedding that she clearly wants nothing to do with? Mm. And of course, yes, there's a whole thing going on. This is a guy. She's, you know, as as we know, in that part of the world, in Pakistan and in India, especially, marriages are very often arranged within the family. So, who is it that you know she was with before? Who's paying the money to free her? And of course, you can guess that you know she and Dev Patel wind up 
having not exactly the best relationship, and it winds up being a very different relationship. I won't go into all the details, but it is nonetheless a really slick film. Dev Patel is has a more it feels more dangerous than he usually does. You know, he's usually playing a nice guy, yeah, or yeah. no, he's he's got an edge here, and he does a really good job of it, which is good because he's a big guy. I don't know if you ever been yeah, in the room with Dev. Yeah. yeah, he's like six two. He's yeah. he's a big dude. Uh, so he can be very imposing, and you put a gun in his hand, doesn't have to do a whole lot. Yeah. So anyway, Michael Winterbottom also wrote this, and uh, full disclosure, our friend Deepak produced it. Yeah, one of the producers on it. Um, Deepak produces so many produces so many damn things. I kind of keep track of it, but um, anyway, it's a good film, and it is called The Wedding Guest. The Wedding Guest with Dev Patel on Blu-ray looks really sharp. Uh, the grief of others. Uh, I'm not I'm sorry. That was you. Birds without a feather. Birds without a feather. Little Wendy McComb film. This is a perfectly lovely little film about these misfit people. You got this Instagram guy. You got this yeah. press guy. You got some guy who, who steals people's yep. identity. This woman who goes around begging people to take pictures all the time. They come together in a sort of bizarre relationship, <laughs> set of relationships, and sort of like lean on each other for support and whatnot. It's a it's a perfectly lovely little film. Uh, I, I don't know. Uh, on the cover, it says uh, Fellini meets David Lynch. Okay, <laughs> if you say so. Which Fellini? What David Lynch? Uh, is, is what you have to discern there. Nevertheless, it is a, a, a moving and sharp little film, 85 minutes long. Unfortunately, not anything by way of special features. All right, then. And uh, let's see. I got uh, another new one here. How many? Do you have any new movies? That was that the last that's, one. That's the last new movie for me. All right. Uh, well, this is the last of our new movies. It is Gwen. Uh, ooh. You know, we were talking about Robert Eggers yeah. and uh, Ari Aster earlier. And uh, you could add William McGregor to their mix. He's uh, He has similar sensibilities. Uh, this is a Welsh film, or at least shot in Wales. Uh, it's one. It's it's kind of a part of a subgenre that has emerged in the last few years. Kind of folktale kind of. Folktale. Summer is one of them. Yeah. Yeah. These these folktale quasi horror film period. They're very often period films, usually set in the UK in some horrible godforsaking mountainous region in Wales. And this is in a mining community. And um, the uh, the idea here is, you know, you've got these women in this mining community, and Dad went away to war. And, uh, you know, what's, how are they going to survive? And there are, uh, there, you know, there's, there's some really angry landowners who want to sort of take control of the land in the village, and they're going to terrorize the, the people there. And it's all mood, really. It's all just very gothic mood and uh, downtrodden women, and it gets bloody and hor- horrific at a certain point. And um, there's not much to it in terms of style, but... Uh, or in, in terms of story, but there's a lot going on in terms of style. Mm. So I forgive this film a lot of its uh, its narrative kind of uh, thinness mm. uh, because William McGregor has a lot of he's got a lot of chops. And you give this guy a real script and a real budget, I think he'll do let's something. He so it's do. a resume piece. It's a bit of a resume piece. All right, let's uh, wrap the show out with some uh, library catalog titles. Got a got a good solid bunch of Kino stuff. And uh, one of them is a great box set. So let me uh, let me dive into this just a little bit first. Uh, we have got a, um, a Mario Bava film from the Mario Bava collection with uh, Reg Park and Christopher Lee Hercules in the Haunted World two disc edition. Um, look, if you love the Hercules movies, you, you I guess you got to get it. Uh, if you if you don't, then uh, why bother? Uh, the Hercules movies, of course, were kind of a uh, you know, there were a number of genres that emerged from Italy at the time, uh, exploitation and uh, and cheesy genres, and one of them was uh, Spaghetti Westerns, which gave us a lot of great films as yeah. well. 
And then there were the Hercules movies and the Sword and Sandal movies, and there were a lot of Hercules movies. And Hercules isn't copywritten, so you can pretty much anybody yeah. can make a Hercules movie. Anybody can do that. And Reg Park uh, made a few. This was the second one, and it has absolutely nothing to do with the actual Hercules. It's uh, it's just a Mario Bava Hercules movie with Reg Park. That's really all it is. Um, it's got a kind of a horror vibe to it, so it, it, it goes a little bit into Giallo, kind of, sort of. Christopher Lee is in it for some weird reason, I guess, because uh, they associate him with it, and they want to have a bit of a hammer vibe to it. But it's got a lot of fun extras on it. Uh, they have the U.S. version the European version, uh, the UK release version. They're, they're, all, they're all a little bit different. They restored this so that it's absolutely beautiful. The color is really, really sharp on, uh, on uh, Blu-ray. And uh, Tim Lucas, who wrote the book, literally wrote the book on Mario Bava, All the Colors of the Dark, it does the audio commentary, and it's really, really fun. So it, not, a, not a great film, but, you know, it, it uh, does the thing. And then from the uh, studio classics line... Got a few interesting titles. I'm going to start with a movie that everybody always forgets exists. Folks! With two Fs, with Roger Moore. Uh, Probably the most noteworthy thing Roger Moore did other than being James Bond. uh, With James, yeah, in the movies. Yeah, in the movies at least, not not, uh, other than The Saint. Uh, This is from 1980 and uh, directed by Andrew V. McLaughlin, good old workman-like guy. And, uh, you know, Anthony Perkins and uh, Roger Moore kind of anchor what is effectively a James Bond film without James Bond. Yeah. Uh, it's a, it, it is. It's, it's a, you know, it's an espionage thriller and it all takes place around a, uh, an oil rig <coughs> in the North sea. And, um, it's fine. Uh, you know, Roger Moore plays the character Rufus Excalibur folks. That's where the name comes from. And he's leading a, a bunch of commandos and they've got to, you know, uh, get it done. And Anthony Perkins is the baddie. James Mason's in it as well. Um, perfectly serviceable. It's got an audio commentary by uh, a trio of film historians, Howard Berger, Steve Mitchell, and Nathaniel Thompson, and that's about it. Uh, we also have Wanted Dead or Alive with Rutger Hauer. Ah, Rutger. Uh, who just passed not too long ago. Uh, good sporting cast here, Robert Guillaume and uh, Gene Simmons. When was the last time? If anybody ever said to you trivia, <laughs> in what movie did Gene Simmons and Robert Guillaume appear together? Would you go uh, Wanted Dead or Alive? I, no, you will no, now. I will now. <laughs> such a thing weird. is, I saw that movie and I still wouldn't answer the I know. Right. I forgot entirely. I only remember Rutger Hauer. Uh, this was when Rutger Hauer had sort of graduated post-Blade Runner into doing his own action film yeah, stuff. Yeah. He was like a second-tier action guy, and he was, what was the one where he was the blind, blind samurai swordsman, guy? Yeah, blind the, swordsman, yeah. Blind swordsman, yeah. Blind justice or blind, blind yeah. something. So anyway, the same trio, uh, well, Gary Sherman and, uh, sorry, not it, it's Gary Sherman and uh, producer Arthur Sarkeesian who do the commentary on this one. Um, I've actually met Sarkeesian, uh, interesting guy. Uh, interview with Gary Sherman. Uh, Mel Harris is interviewed in this. Uh, you know what? It's fine. It's. I mean, it's it's it, it's not a bad movie. It's not a great movie. It's just Rutger Hauer trying to you know step it up a little bit. So it's a it, for, from a nostalgia standpoint, I guess it's okay. Uh, Fatherhood. This makes me very sad as well. Another actor who mm, left us, yeah. uh, Patrick Swayze. Yeah. Um, Fatherhood is actually a, a, a decent film, directed by Daryl James Root, the South African uh, director, who is is very very good, and just does it. You know, he most recently did Wol- was it Wolverine? Yeah. Yeah, something yeah. like that. I mean, uh, you know, he 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 
gets a lot of junk thrown at him, and sometimes he takes it. But um, produced by Nicholas Pileggi, Anant Singh. It, it's a lot of really interesting people involved in this. Halle Berry was in this. Diane Ladd was in this. And uh, ultimately, it's just um, the story of a kind of a, a crook who's, a, a, you know, has kids. And how does he uh, how does he manage being a bad guy and still trying to you know raise kids and it does it in that eighties way of uh, kind of you know co- wacky comedy and heartwarming comedy. Um, what a bizarre, strange movie. My boyfriend's back is. Uh, this is directed by Bob Balaban, the actor that we're all familiar with, who from Close Encounters and and Seinfeld. He plays the network head in Seinfeld. He's also in uh, Altered States. Bob Balaban directed a few films on his own. Not bad, yeah. not terrible. Yeah. And uh, this is one of them. It's okay. It's got a decent cast. Cloris Leachman's funny. Uh, but but ultimately, uh, it's still kind of a zombie comedy. It's a, you know, a uh, guy comes back from the dead and, you know, anyway, uh, to get the girl of his dreams, blah, 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 blah. It doesn't really work. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But uh, it's, it's an 80s comedy in the 90s, 1993, still kind of the 80s. So, uh, my boyfriend's back. Ha, ha, ha. Get it? He's back from the dead. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that is. Shall I? Yeah, go ahead. A few of these. I, th- this first one's kind of interesting uh, for, for a couple of different reasons. The name of the film is Chicago Cab, 1997 film, starring a, a guy named uh, Paul Dillon, written by Mary Chobaleski and John uh, Tenatori. Oh. All, all, all interest. These are all Chicago people, Chicago yeah. cabbies. So, this is based on a play written by a guy named Will Curran, Chicago playwright. So. The cast of this movie, going uh, way back, Maura Sinise, Maura Sinise, whose name was Maura Harris at the time, is married to Gary Sinise, who came out of that whole Chicago Steppenwolf scene. Yeah. Also in this neat little movie, which is constructed of this cab driver who, who gives rides to some 30, 40 different people, couples, whatever, over mm. the course of a typical shift in December. Uh, you're driving around Chicago. This is cab, 1997, no, no Uber, none of that. This is a cabbie. Yep. Uh, played by Paul Dillon. And it's just all these wacky, it's kind of a Jim Jarmusch-esque kind of thing, very play like because the cab is basically the stage and some other things happen uh in in addition to them these are the folks that pop up in this movie that i just love michael shannon plays the crackhead uh-huh. who gets in the cab in this movie tracy let's also play right right and noted director now uh plays the sports fan who gets into the cab you roll on down here and you got laurie metcalf laurie metcalf who's of course from illinois and did a lot of work in chicago laurie metcalf from from uh, roseanne and you know, a wonderful actor john c Riley is in this film this is 1997 film now uh, uh, you roll on down here, and you run into Troy West, and you run into Harry Lennox, plays the pissed-off boyfriend yeah. to somebody in this film. Kevin O'Connor, Kevin J. O'Connor, uh, who you've seen in the character as a character. John Cusack in this film, uh, uh, playing the scary man, and on down. So basically, this was, was just an amalgamation of all these sort of Chicago uh, theater movie. John Cusack was already something of a movie star by the time yeah. this film happened in 1997. Yep. But you know, I love uh, the way the whole community, there, yeah, that theater, the way they they, they, they coalesced they onto the coalesced film, coalesced and, yeah. made, and made this little film for these people. Uh, is the is the movie any good? Not particularly, no. <laughs> uh, the Adams Family, 1991, that original Adams Family movie with the exquisite Raul Julia. Uh, and Angelica Houston. Uh, look, I love that television show, the uh, the Adams Family television show, which was on the air at the same time as shows like the Beverly Hills Billies and, of course, Gilligan's Island and I Dream of Jeannie and all this stuff. And then you had this very odd show sitting off in uh, in the corner uh, doing very weird – the Munsters were there too. Yeah. Uh, the Adams Family, and uh, and then you know the, the the movie in 1991, Adams Family Value. After that, so we have them both here in a two movie collection on Blu-ray. 
all new good-looking movies with a little bit of uh, with a few special uh, 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 special features. Uh, but you know, uh, the Adams family interesting in that uh, Oscar Isaac, uh, Charlize Theron yep. uh, providing the voices for a 2019 version. Of the Adams family, mm-hmm. you know, before Vin Diesel uh, did nothing but Fast and Furious movies or movies that <laughs> seem like Fast and Furious movies, yeah. he actually made movies. I know, isn't that funny? Find me guilty. He has he has hair as a wig. Yeah, uh, in this movie where he's playing a Guido, uh, and this is just one of the funniest, funniest, funniest movies. Um, uh, the Sidney Lumet film, and and leave it to Sidney Lumet to look at a guy like Vin Diesel and not think of him as just some sort of muscle-bound. So yeah. I mean, let him play a guy who's actually 20 years older than Vin was at this yeah. particular time in the court case, the stuff of the Bob Yari production. This is really, really wonderful. Uh, this is a, a, a great blue, uh, Blu-ray, but there's absolutely nothing on it, and I find that frustrating. Oh, I'd love to hear Vin talking about Find Me Guilty. Uh, and Mean Girls, 15 years, uh, celebrating 15-year anniversary of Mean Girls. Wow. Uh, man, before uh, Lindsay Lohan melted down. I knew her. I ran into her, interviewed her when she was a little bitty girl. Uh, what was she in? Was she in that version of Freaky Friday? It was in one of the twin movies uh, when she was a little bitty girl. And I remember uh, interviewing her and thinking to myself, she's just fascinating. going to be just a wonderful actress. And she was. And it all sort of culminated with this movie, Mean Girls. And after that, oh, well. Uh, that's the way it goes sometimes. Anyway, uh, Mark Ward is directing, Tina Fey, uh, just a wonderful, uh, uh, in, in this movie, Lauren Michaels producing. Uh, this movie gave us Rachel McAdams. People forget that Rachel McAdams was one of the Mean Girls. She absolutely was. Anyway, 15-year anniversary, Mean Girls. Lots of special features, including that commentary by Mark Warder. Got some, uh, some other stuff from Kino here. A twofer. Uh, which is wonderful. If you're a foreign language uh, fan, you obviously love, and I, kn- and I know this, I'm going to assume that you love the French director Claude Sauté because he is just the quintessential classic French director. Claude Sauté made two movies with Emmanuel Bayard as his muse, and they are both wonderful, absolutely superb. Uh, Encore en hiver, uh, Heart in Winter, and Nelly and Monsieur Arnaud. Uh, they are great. Uh, Encore en hiver is, uh, is just a wonderful, kind of fascinating psychological love triangle set against the world of classical music with Emmanuel Bayard as a uh, concert violinist and uh, André Dussolier and then uh, Daniel Auteuil playing a, um, a, a guy who restores musical instruments. Anyway, it's just a really, really beautiful film, poetic, fascinating, incredibly well-written, uh, really, really psychological uh, and, and very sensual at the same time. Uh, even better is Nelly and Monsieur Arnaud, which uh, co-stars the incredible uh, Michel Serrault from uh, La Cage aux Folles, uh, as well as Jean-Hugues Anglade. Really, really amazing movie. This thing is so delicate and so methodical, and it's really fascinating. Um, it's it basically there in the middle in the middle nineties. It was when so all good. of this extraordinary French cinema. Uh, it, it was. It was mid nineties. It was amazing. Yeah. What the hell happened? Anyway. Yeah. Well, uh, this is basically about a young woman played by Michel, uh, uh, Emmanuel Bayard, who um, is not in a good situation in her marriage, and she winds up being introduced to this uh, sort of. Um, very unusual older man, played by Claude Sauté, who needs somebody to help him kind of write down his his biography and and put together his thoughts. And uh, that relationship that they have as she's doing the work for him, of course, turns into something else. But it's not not like a full-blown romance. No. It is uh, is, something else. 
it's something much more unusual, at times compelling, at times a, a little disturbing. It's really, really, really good. And it is it, the way that it's photographed is so artful. It's all in the glances and the gestures and the, the framing of it. It's really, it's just uh, absolutely superb. And it may be Sauté's very, very best film. Uh, both of these have uh, film have commentaries by Kat Ellinger, who, if you've heard any of the other uh, commentaries, does a fantastic job. And um, really, really just great stuff. If you are a fan of great... Um, legendary female filmmakers, then you are definitely going to want to get this box set from Kino. Kino just nailed it and knocked it out of the park. They have the uh, Ida Lupino Filmmaker Collection, four newly restored films directed by Ida Lupino. And it's a delight. It's absolutely terrific. It includes uh, the films The Bigamist, The Hitchhiker, Never Fear, and Not Wanted. Uh, just all of these are absolutely wonderful. Some of the best actors and actresses of their day would, did work for Ida Lupino, and uh, it, it just it, it's fantastic. I mean, Joan Fontaine here in The Bigamist is superb, as is Edmund Gwen. Uh, that may be my favorite of all of these, but there's a lot of other great stuff in here as well, including Leo Penn, by the way, father yeah. of Sean Penn and yeah. Chris Penn who uh, do, it turns in an, a pretty wonderful performance in Not Wanted as well. So uh, some really which, good which stuff. Was, which was her first film. I, yeah, uh, yeah it which was. she was not credited for a long time. People, people, Ida Lupino, people forget. I, I has like a, over 100 directing credits. I know, it's amazing. Films. Uh, yeah. Quite a career. Quite yep, a career. Yeah. yep. Pretty fantastic. So the Ida Lupino Filmmaker Collection, very, very impressive. Really, really cool. Uh, and just kind of wrap things out. We got a couple of criterions here too. Uh, both of them well worth checking out. The uh, the cloud capped star by um, the uh, very very famous Bengali filmmaker Ritwik Gatak is really good. Now people don't typically pay typically pay attention to Ritwik Gatak because as far as Bengali filmmakers go, everybody usually stops at Ray. And that's as far as it goes. But there is a Bengali film industry. There are other directors. There are other stories to be told. And uh, Gatak is, is one of the best. Uh, 1960, about two hours and uh, seven minutes long. And uh, it is a different kind of Bengali film from what Ray would do. Um, it, this is much more political. It's about a family who's been uh, kind of devastated by the partition of India into Pakistan and India. And uh, how that and their dependence on their daughter impacts them and her life and moving forward what this, you know, what this means for them. It's, it's how the, you know, effectively how the partition affected the family and how the family is forced to make these certain choices. Really, really a very, very good film that includes some wonderful stuff in the extras, new conversation between uh, a couple of different uh, Indian filmmakers and uh, stills and, and uh, a new English subtitle translation, which is really nice. Also from Criterion is uh, Three Silent Classics by Joseph von Sternberg, Underworld, The Last Command, and The Docks of New York. Uh, Joseph von Sternberg, uh, one of the uh, great Austrian filmmakers of all time, certainly one of the great uh, German, Germanic uh, silent filmmakers. And uh, these are from the late 1920s, right around just, just before everything went to, to talkie and, uh, and he switched up his career. But... Um, they're all really good. They, they, they're just really, really interesting, very, very technically sophisticated uh, silent films. And uh, that's it. A lot of extras on here, one of which is a, um, 
a video essay that involves one of my old professors, Janet Bergstrom from UCLA, who gave me an A in European film. Yeah, thank man. you, thank you, Janet. Janet shows up here, just ter- a terrific scholar. And then there's also some really good uh, essays in the booklet too. So um, really great, and the scores are terrific. A lot of a lot of cool scores. Last few from uh, Arrow. There is uh, FM, which is just a just a weird, silly, stupid movie oh, from the seventies that now has like cult status for some crazy reason. Uh, look, before there, you know, this is around the time of WKRP, right? Everything's like kind of radio culture in the late seventies is a thing. FM is not as fun or as funny as as WKRP, but it's got its moments. Linda Ronstadt and Jimmy Buffett show up in this thing. Martin Mull is here. Cleavon Little is here. Eileen Brennan. You know, a lot of people that sort of belong to this era. Um, you know, it's fine. It's fine. It's it's uh, you know, it's 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 cult for John, some people. It's a big deal. It's weird that John A. Alonzo <coughs> shot it. Y- yeah, directed it. Oh, did he direct it? Yeah. Stop. Yeah. He didn't direct. He directed. Yeah. You're kidding. I didn't. You know, I didn't even pay attention to that. Yeah. I just remember the movie. I mean, wow, John Alonzo, cinematographer. Who, who, he, cinematographer who yeah. shot Scarface. Yeah. yeah. So you think of John, you think of that. Oh my but gosh. He gets a chance to direct, and this see, John. See, normally I normally I prepare like <laughs> I focus on the director. I'm like FM. I remember that damn thing. It didn't even dawn on me who directed this because I didn't care. <laughs> it was just freaking wow. Look idea, at that. Uh, and a much more interesting film from Arrow is Toys Are Not for Children. Uh, this movie has kind of fallen between the cracks. This is from 1971. It's at a turning point where exploitation films are going mainstream. That's the subject of our documentary Schlock from years ago, which mm-hmm. we'll be re-releasing soon. And this is one of the more interesting movies that represents that, but everyone forgot about it. And it's a pretty, it's a pretty gruesome movie in many respects because it deals, uh, it deals with you know horror and sexuality and 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 mental illness. And uh, and trauma and all of these really, it, you know, all the stuff that was was in really like um, it was an exploitation slasher film just yeah. a few years earlier, and then pretty soon it becomes the stuff of uh, you know The Exorcist and and, and Rosemary's Baby and yeah. those things which mainstream it between the late '60s and the early '70s, and so this kind of, this film kind of sits between those two things, uh, directed by Stanley Brasloff, and um, it's. Um, it's worth revisiting. It really, really is. Especially the uh, video essay on here called Dirty Dolls, Femininity, Perversion, and Play, which is uh, has a lot of really interesting and provocative stuff in it. So uh, Toys Are Not For Children by Stanley Brasloff. Might want to give that one a look if you want to revisit some of the, the more unusual culty films, late 60s and early 70s. And then uh, three from the Warner Archive collection, uh, Popeye the Sailor, 1940s, Volume 3, 17 more theatrical shorts from the uh, Popeye line, which they keep releasing. I'm glad they do. Wish they'd release them in a single box set. Mm. But that said, uh, they're all great. They're just absolutely terrific. The, uh, the 1940s Popeyes are, are just beautifully animated, brilliant color, very clever. Olive oil has never been lovelier. Very fetching, that olive oil. And then the uh, last two Blu-rays from the Warner Archive collection here, a little bit something old, a little bit something less old. Betty Davis in the letter. It's hard to ever say that Betty Davis is, you know, I mean, they're, they're all sort of her great performances. She could do no yeah. wrong. But she was especially good with William Wyler. William Wyler had her number as a, as a director. He knew how to get the best out of her. So anything that Betty Davis did with William Wyler is probably a, a half a notch above anything else. Uh, written by Howard Koch, music by Max Steiner, 
a uh, an absolutely thrilling adaptation of uh, Somerset Mom uh, book, where uh, a a woman, a somewhat unstable woman, um, uh, winds up weaseling her way out of a murder conviction. Wow! And uh, Betty Davis is. It's it's like she's born for this. She mm. really is absolutely born for this. So Betty, Betty died. Betty died as of our taping of the show. Betty died thirty years ago. No, tomorrow. Wow. October sixth, nineteen eighty nine. Love you, Betty. Betty. Yeah. And then the last one, absolutely delightful movie, my favorite year with Peter O'Toole. Oh yeah. Oh, with Peter O'Toole and um, Mark Lynn Baker, who of course would go on to a very successful television career. On uh, 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 opposite with Belky, with Belky uh, with, with yeah. perfect strangers, perfect strangers. Yeah, I, but, love, uh, I, I, I love this movie so much. Peter O'Toole got an Oscar nomination for it. It's just absolutely delightful. Directed by Richard Benjamin, who made a lot of junk, but this is not one of them. Yeah. This was when Richard Benjamin was really in his prime, directing some lovely, lovely movies. And uh, I, I guess, in a way, is it? Li- it's a little bit Ed Woodish, yeah. but it's just so lovely. What's the lovely line he has in that movie? I'm not an actor. I'm a movie star. <laughs> you, for, you know, Peter O'Toole is hilarious. Oh, in he's this. hilarious. He's yeah. so funny, and we don't think of him as being well, funny. Well, because he's, he's sending up himself a bit. Yeah, yeah. He's, it's a send up of 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 it, uh, Errol Flynn yeah. and himself and and others. But uh, yeah, it is uh, it is really really just absolutely delightful and allegedly this is for those who don't know this was inspired by the early part of mel brooks's career so um i'll let you let you listen to the commentary by richard benjamin to sort of uh, sort all that out but really it is it's just it's terrific it's a really really wonderful movie uh and with that we are done and we are going to send you out with another tune from anna and the apocalypse Hollywood ending, ooh, 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 no such thing as a Hollywood ending.